This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This, this is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. Lindsey Patterson, Mike Santagata. Mike, what's up? Hydration. I I was just—I was just joking with you. I drink so much water during the podcast. That definitely put it on my mind. That was like a—that was like a planned nuclear strike. You're just like, I drink a lot of water on the podcast. Three, two, one, go. I'm just like, oh, I should drink some water. Water's good. Uh, The Cincinnati Bengals. We have officially hit the period of summer break. Uh, You get the OTAs over. You get the voluntary workouts over. You get the mandatory minicamp over. Now we just wait until training camp. But in the meantime, thought it would be really cool on Tuesdays if we did kind of a player profile. And by that, I mean, let's focus on players. Maybe a guy we don't talk about enough when it comes to what they look like as a player, what their outlook is for the upcoming season. And ask the people on Twitter and decided to go with Zach Carter, because I feel like we don't really talk about Zach Carter. And I think when Zach was drafted a couple years ago, well, last draft, that a lot of people were wondering, hmm. Is this going to work? What does this look like? And I know uh, Paul Daner actually talked to Zach Carter, and I want to say he put on 20 pounds of muscle this offseason. We'll see what that means when it comes to his body on the defensive side of the ball. But I wanted you to go back and watch some Zach Carter. Give us a little bit of a player profile going into the 2023 season. Yeah, um, 20 pounds of muscle. He was so undersized for a Bengals defensive tackle, 270 pounds. I remember – I did, if you aren't following me on all Bengals, I looked at the thresholds for edge rushers, for defensive tackles, and what they normally like, what, you know, like what's a good number for a guy to have size, measurable, uh, testing, et cetera. And Zach Carter did set the bar for the lightest defensive tackle taken. And he was kind of light for a defensive end for them. Uh, He's 273 pounds, I believe, at the combine. And they usually go 300 plus. Even Gino was near 300, like maybe just under, if you're thinking of smaller defensive tackles that the Bengals have drafted. And Carter's tall, so he's slimmed out for that. Uh, I think it's I think it's important to go back at this point. When you get like four or five years into a guy's career, you can kind of skip past the college stuff. That's why I kind of throw out the RAS number on Irv Smith. It's like, says he's a bad athlete. Well, he's a good athlete on the field, so I don't really care. Um, but I like to go back cause I watched this guy in depth and check out what I said about Zach Carter. And a lot of it remains true. Uh, I, I don't think he's shown what I saw in terms of pass rush at Florida. Just statistically, he had, uh, what did five sacks his junior year? And he also had eight sacks his senior year. So you think, yeah, and he showed a little bit as a pass rusher. He had some moves he liked to use. He liked that long arm bull rush where you have one arm stabbing into the guy using his length. He's got over 33 inch arms. That's probably longer than the guard he's facing. 
And when you make your one arm, that's longer than two. So makes sense why he likes that. He also had a secondary move off of it. So I thought the upper body stuff seemed fine. I also liked him in the run game when he was using his upper body to steer blockers and just move guys the way they don't want to go. And he had a little bit of agility, some wiggle to him. But what you didn't see was a great anchor in the run game. And you didn't see a good first step, which to me, that's, to me, that's the most important thing a defensive lineman can have as a pass rusher is that first step, get off the ball. It's why Larry Ogunjobi is going to get contracts until he doesn't care anymore. <laughs> and he's a pretty good player. Like I liked him. I actually would have kept him over BJ Hill because of this, um, but maybe egg on my face a little bit. Uh, I think they're still playing a little similar level. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, doesn't have the nice anchor and, He's inconsistent with his hand placement. Not great when your main move is to hit a guy perfectly in the middle of his chest to drive him backwards. So when you aim that and you miss high, it's easy. It just falls off. You aim low. It just gets knocked down. And all of that kind of showed up on film in the NFL level. And the NFL is faster. So his first step in college wasn't that great. At the NFL, it's it's not good. And it's okay could maybe get better or he could get bigger, which is what he did. And then maybe you're playing the BJ Hill type rather than trying to be a guy that can fly off the ball and get a bunch of sacks. So that's kind of what I see on film is the same upper body is strong. Lower body needs a little bit of work. He put on some weight, probably good weight. I would think he was probably never going to step into the league and be a four or five sack guy at defensive tackle, which would be pretty good. Um, not elite, but pretty good. And he was a late third round pick for a reason in a draft that I think wasn't very good at defensive tackle. Now, I don't think he's doomed. I think he put on that weight. He could become a better run stopper. I like his upper body when stopping the run. Like I've mentioned a lot with him is it's lower body. I'm not in love with, but the upper body I do like a lot uh, other than the hand placement. So on film, that's what I see. There are a lot of statistics probably to dive into as well, but I wanted to get your feelings about him yourself too. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I would say too much definitively on his career. I think you could fairly say he wasn't an impressive rookie, um, half a sack, not much production. I believe Pro Football Reference has him for two pressures on the season, which is less than every 100 snaps he played 350 plus snaps this year so what are your thoughts quick on zach carter before i go into more yeah with zach carter you know it's it's just so hard to tell because i do feel like it was a disappointing rookie year for him um you know could that change in year two and i do think you know the dedication of putting on 20 pounds for muscle is huge when it comes to the competition and realizing hey i have to get bigger and uh, being able to do that, we'll see if that makes a difference, what his impact will be. You know, before you get into more of the player profile, let me ask you, what, what do you think would be a successful season this year for Zach Carter? Oh, um, great question. I My first thought is definitely secure your spot on the team next year. <laughs> that would be the first successful season is like, oh, we know who are at least at worst you're the rotational three tech. Or I guess a really successful season is to know next year he's your starter. He's a starter at three tech. And the Bengals like to play two three techs or a five tech, three to five, somewhere in there. And that, that's one thing Zach Carter does well is he is pretty versatile to be able to kick further out than like a BJ Hill normally can and keep some of his 
play level the same. So he can kick out the five tech even a little bit further if you need him to, although I think they've always wanted him at three technique, which is right outside the guard. And that's probably also why he's putting on weight so he can play that position um, and alignment. Yeah, I I think a successful season, I'm not even going to think statistically, but well, I guess if I'm not thinking statistically, it's what I said. It's that he's a role player or a starter for sure next year, um, which would be better than he played this year, which I think you should expect too. I think you should expect him to be better this year uh, than he was last year. That's that's the point of drafting these guys in the late third is they're not going to be, you know, great right away, but they're hopefully able to develop into something. I think statistically, if you want to throw something out there, he forces at least 500 snaps. Uh, so he can spell BJ Hill, DJ reader a little bit. And DJ is not going to play three tech, but on passing downs, maybe you could pull DJ off the field and let him rest and have Zach Carter, BJ Hill, or some type of fun, uh, Sam Hubbard, Miles Murphy, whatever on the inside. And he's able to take some of those snaps as well. So I think that's statistically, you know, the 500 snaps and I I don't know, three sacks, I think would be a pretty successful uh, campaign. It doesn't seem high, but when you're talking about defensive tackles, they, they don't average 10 sacks, like good defensive tackles, not elite, like Gino could get 10 plus mm-hmm. whatever, but you know, a good three, a good three technique is probably averaging six, seven sacks. You think of what Larry Ogunjobi did. It felt like a ton of sacks and it was, uh, but I'm going to get that right. So I'm going to look it up real quick, but that's why I'm, that's what I would think is a successful season for Zach Carter, just because he didn't show a ton this year, but I think there's room for him to grow and show some improvement. Joby got seven sacks his last season with the Bengals, one sack, one and a half sacks last year. I mean, if you can get the Larry Ogunjobi was getting five and a half. Uh, you got that twice in Cleveland. Defensive tackle sacks also, by the way, not consistent. Um, you got guys in, I think Joby's career is a good one to look at because it's one and a half, five and a half, five and a half, one and a half, seven, one and a half. It's like, yeah, he's getting sacked sometimes, but defensive tackles are just so reliant on, you know, luck. And this is why sometimes you look at things like pressure and quarterback hits, which are a little bit more sustainable. Although Joby also averages pretty low quarterback hit numbers in the years that he had one and two and a half sacks. He did get 11 quarterback hits last year and he only had 16 in 2021. So one and a half sacks, but not that many less quarterback hits, one and a half compared to seven. When it comes to pressures, he's been pretty consistent there too. I mean, pushing 20. So I'm not looking at Larry Ogunjobi as a comparison, but I think that's a good template for what you should expect out of defensive tackles just because as pass rushers, it's more variable than as edge rushers. Yeah, I I think you bring up a good point about, you know, making the roster. And you're talking about, I mean, it would be a total shock if he didn't make this year's roster, right? Right, yeah, he's going to make the roster that you don't cut a guy in year two. But year three, I think that's when the question comes because when you – I wouldn't cut him, but people are talking about Cam Sample that way. And I think Cam Sample played better than Zach Carter did. So if he's not a lock to make the team, then you have to be 
pretty good in year three. And that might depend on, do they draft a defensive tackle with their first round pick next year, which is kind of, I think some of the reasoning behind maybe cam sample gets knocked off. If it's me, I'm keeping cam sample over, I don't know, Terrell Basham or J2 Fele or all these other guys that are possibly even Josh Tupo. Um, and those, some of those guys are interior guys, but still I'm keeping him on the team because he can moonlight a little inside He's kind of the opposite Zach Carter. Zach Carter is three technique and he moonlights outside and Cam Sample is outside and he moonlights inside sometimes. You talk about getting to the quarterback and when you said three sacks, I was, I'd be impressed if he was able to get three. Okay. I would say that's. Well, I think some people have it in their mind. It's like, ah, six, seven sacks. It's like, that's, that's good. That's really good. Well, the thing that they struggled with, and this defense is legit. We've talked about it over the last two years. I even brought it up in, in a podcast this offseason. Do we feel like the defense outperformed the offense at times? Just with the way they played the majority of the season. You could say in the postseason is a good example, but they need to get to the quarterback. I want to see them put the pressure on getting to the quarterback, and that's going to help your, help your young secondary, to be completely honest. If you can get that pressure on the opposing quarterback, and, and maybe Zach Carter shines and – I don't know. We'll see if, if the muscle makes a huge difference for him. Uh, but you do feel like when the Bengals drafted him, the the previous draft, that he was undersized. Yeah, yeah, especially for what they normally like. But I want to get to one more point, and it's just that he started off much slower than he finished. I think he flashed a bit in both Baltimore games, the season ender and the playoff uh, wild card round. Against the Bills, not so much, and not so much against the Chiefs, but – it matched up with the film. I, I know Joe Goodberry, friend of the show, everybody is, uh, posted his PFF numbers. And the first ones are all red. They're all like under 40. But then there's still those that are like 40, 35 in the second half. And I'm not huge in just using the PFF numbers. But I do think as a generality, this could indicate something for him. There were 65s and 70s you know, in there. It's just like he started to flash. And I think those are the games that he flashed because he doesn't play enough snaps for – you know, it's a really one big play from him is probably going to boost those numbers. And I don't want to get into PFF grading and how that works, but I think it matched up with the film. I think when you saw the film, it looked like the game might've slowed down a little bit for him. I'm not going to say a ton, but I think it slowed down a little bit where he's able to read the blocks. He's able to read his keys. He can read run pass. He can read what runs coming. Is it zone away from me? Zone to me, power trap, all these other things coming my way. How do I defeat those blocks early on? It felt like he had no feel for it, but later if it, it sound, it seemed like he had a feel for it and that matches up with the numbers Joe Goodberry posted. So if you're trying to build up the case for him, it's that he's putting on weight, uh, which I mean, it's off season. It's off season. Everybody is in the best shape of their lives. They're putting on weight, losing weight, whatever they need to do. So, but you believe it. So he puts on weight. He got better in the second half of the year. The game's slowing down a little bit for him. You just think all that muscle in the intelligence is building up, the recognition, the feel, everything like that. And now you can start building the case, especially as maybe a run stopper, that he could be better next year and maybe solidify himself onto the team. Um, as a pass rusher, to me, I I would like to see the first step improve, and I don't know how much that can improve other than just timing the snap count, getting keys on the snap count a little bit. Um, I know not everybody 
I think at the NFL level, a lot of those guys don't watch the ball anymore. They watch the man across from them. And uh, that's also why some offensive linemen will, uh, on a false one, just kind of like move their foot a little bit. Not, not like pick it up, move it, anything egregious, but just like turn the ankle. Just see if you can get a guy to <laughs> jump off sides in that situation. Or just like kind of sit back in their stance, which is allowed. As long as you don't pick up the foot or move it in any way that really indicates that you're coming. Or maybe just like open, close the hand, just give some type of flash to the defensive lineman. Uh, but they watch those guys. They watch like the knee and um, to get for their get off. And maybe that's how you can build the better first step is he can better anticipate it. That's something that, you know, Mike Hilton does extremely well, anticipate snap counts. So does Trey Hendrickson. And um, if he can anticipate snap counts, if he can jump it that way, I'm not asking him to just straight jump snaps and just guess all the time because that's how you get penalties and that won't help you. But if he can build up a better snap anticipation and get off that way, rather than through explosion, because I I just, I don't know how much better can your explosion get, especially if you're going to put on weight, because that's putting on weight usually means you're a little bit slower, which is fine because his defensive tackle, the get off is for pass rushing, but if he's going to be a heck of a run defender, he's going to be the, if he could be the, the BJ Hill down the road replacement that would come with putting on weight. So that makes sense. So all those things could add to a, a better season for him next year. Um, I would be, I don't think I'm pessimistic, but I also don't think I'm really optimistic about his outlook for next year. I'm very middle of the road. I, I, I think he has to play a role because this team is pretty shallow at defensive tackle, mm-hmm. but I don't think you should expect, I think you should expect better than last year, but how much better would be the question. And is he going to provide some plus value in either the run or the pass defense that you can point to as to that's why we're going to keep him next year. So that's what I would look at is some, he's going to give you something. This would be a successful year. He gives you something that you point at and you go like, that's why he's staying on the team next year. He's cheap and he gives us plus value in whatever. Yeah. Uh, we'll see what happens with Zach Carter on the Bengals roster in this season. Uh, yeah, going to be there next year, but we'll see the following season for Zach Carter. Player profiles will continue every Tuesday. We'll do another one. You can do the Jamar Chases, the T against the Joe Burrow, but it's kind of fun to do guys on the back end or in the middle of the roster, too. So that's what we're going to really focus on early. But we'll get to more on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati next. is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati, off-season edition. It's weird to call it off-season because it's just in the middle. We should call it summer break. Summer break for the Cincinnati Bengals for the next six weeks before they hit training camp on July 26th. Saw so this on social media, Zim Hude, friend of the show, said, what former Bengals would you take a flyer on right now? This is just for fun. I don't know how serious I feel about this, but we'll go ahead and give the options that he listed. Mo Sanu, former wide receiver. Tyler Eifert, former tight end. And really active on social media when it comes to the Bengals, and I love to see that. Carlos Dunlap, everybody knows what happened there. Or Eli Apple, which I feel like is a pretty easy answer too. <laughs> okay, quick question for you. Yes. Who do you think has played a game more recently, Mohamed Sanu or Tyler Eifert? Mohamed Sanu's son. <laughs> well, Sanu has. This is why 
in the poll, Tyler Eifert is like the number one option. He's the guy who hasn't played since 2020. Sanu played in 2021. Um, yeah, it's been a long time. So that's that's the main concern because, look, Eifert makes the most sense when you look at the roster and you kind of go like – Oh, really? You have those orange – well, I just think tight end is the weakest position out of the group. So, mm. I mean, they're pretty stacked at defensive line. They've got a lot of corners. Um, you may not love them all, but they have a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, and wide receiver, they've got plenty of wide receivers too. You talk about cutting Yoshivas, and I wouldn't, but the argument comes from all what? the wide receivers. Like, who else are you going to – who are you going to cut if it's not him? And then you look around and like, I, I don't know. Where did <laughs> the Yoshivas – where did the Yoshivas – Oh, Yoshi I've seen it. I've seen it. Yes, I've seen people say that maybe you put him on the practice squad. I think he's too talented to no, he'll be gone. make that. Yeah, exactly. That's what I thought. I was like, dude, cut Trent Taylor, put him on the practice squad. They got him from a, like, <laughs> he was a practice squad player before he got here. So, that, I mean, that's what I would do. But I've seen some people, not this podcast, but some no. people express no, the idea, no. which I immediately reject I, I was like no you, you, wait what's the point in drafting guy in the sixth round if you're gonna cut him then try to play that game like don't play the game seventh round pick sure you can try to get him on the practice squad but don't do that with a sixth round guy that to me was probably a mid-round pick that fell anyway Mohamed Sanu he caught 15 passes in 2021 obviously not that much but I just wanted to point out that everybody that's putting Eifert who I think was number one on his poll last time I checked he I'm going to check right now. Three years. I'm not going to say Eifert can't play. I think it's reasonable to doubt that he could step onto this team and take meaningful snaps. I, I mean, even in Jacksonville, he was fine, but he wasn't, he wasn't prime Eifert. I think people really put on those orange tinted glasses when they think about Tyler Eifert. They're like, man, remember that one year he had all those touchdowns and it's just, yeah, that was, man. I don't want to feel old, but that was eight years ago. <laughs> so Ooh. Ooh, that's man, my answer for this though, or are you going to say something? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. My answer is Carlos Dunlap. Just because I think they signed the Eli Apple guy already in uh, Sydney Jones. And I like Sydney Jones a little bit. So I'm fine trying to see what Jones will bring to the team. Not to say Apple wouldn't be better. I think Apple's a fine starting corner and you don't find that. He's also it doesn't seem like the NFL's that interested. So he's going to be around if you have some injury mishaps and whatnot. So maybe you could sign him then. I assume that he's still friendly with the Bengals coaching staff and would like to come play. It seemed like he he and his family seemed to love Lou Anarumo and Zach Taylor. So I, I don't think it's a split there. I just think the front office went with a guy in Sidney Jones who was on a similar career path to Eli Apple before he, he was picked up by the Bengals. When I look at Carlos Dunlap, he had four sacks last year and eight batted passes. And he was a contributor on a team that won a championship ring. I understand all the issues with how he left and the rift in the coaching staff and, you know, all of that. That was a Carlos Dunlap who thought he was still a full-time starter and was getting upset about, you know, playing underneath guys, younger guys, whatever else, and maybe didn't fully buy into the idea. To me, when you just look at on field, this is a guy that's probably, I won't say probably, but he has a case as the most talented still remaining of these four guys. I don't think I'm considering Sanu and Eifert for this experiment as much. It's really between Apple and Dunlap because they played last year. Um, man, 
I mean, Dunlap did well in the AFC Championship game. Mm-hmm. I remember, I remember looking. I was like, man, Carlos Dunlap can still move a little bit. He's he can still rush the passer a little bit. And I know this team has a ton of edge rushers, but I would probably prefer him to Terrell Basham. Um, I, I just think he can give you value, whether it's rushing the passer or swatting those balls. And we know the issue with batted passes. Yeah, the Bengals saw it all last year especially in the first half of last year. So if he can come in, bat some passes, rush the quarterback a little bit, provide some value that way, I think he would be the best out of these guys. The thing that complicates it is the Miles Murphy part of everything. I will say, you know, yeah, going to get Dunlap is just like a win now. And don't even think about like, we're, we need to play these guys. So many snaps for the future. I just think we're going to get him and he's going to play some, you know, he's going to contribute. Some franchises are different. Some forget about the past. And yeah, they won't. And they connect. The Cincinnati Bengals, I, and, I, and I'm not against this decision. I don't think they'll, they'll go back to, to that. And look, there's no rumors or anything that Carlos Dunlap and the Cincinnati Bengals are talking. It was just a fun poll on Twitter, and it's the middle of summer break for the Bengals. So I'm just going to bring it up. It's kind of fun. Um, Carlos Dunlap, I don't think it would happen just because of the history, and I know it feels mm-hmm. so recent. Uh, nothing against him winning a ring or anything like that. It just feels so recent of the breakup between Carlos Dunlap and the Cincinnati Bengals. Most of them, I feel like they have plenty of wide receivers. Honestly, you go back to last year, even when Chase was down, would love the depth at the in the wide receiver room, but they were able to have guys like Trent Irwin and Trent Taylor step up, and I do think Trent Taylor is the odd man out. The Yoshi stuff is absolutely weird to me. If anybody's thinking, oh, he's, right? he's, he can be safe on a practice squad. He won't be safe. No, he won't be. And I think the Bengals, he won't make the, yeah, he won't make the practice squad. He'll get picked up before he like on waivers. Somebody will pick him up. Like, yeah. Oh, they cut Yoshi. Yeah. Like, why? Well, he had a, he had a late third, uh, fourth round grade. And, you know, who knows mm-hmm. what that means at the end of the day, but um, the Cincinnati Bengals had him in for two days and I think they really thought a lot of him. So I think they're going to see what happens. And I think uh, he's been really impressive in their off season program. Um, early. Yeah, Troy Walters uh, said he's uh, more refined than we thought coming in, which it's off season. Everybody's going to be, you know, messed, blah blah blah. But you want to hear, you want to see the good smoke. Yeah. You don't want to see, oh wow, this guy's a real project, <laughs> you know. But like putting coach speak, as in like, yeah, we have to make sure this guy gets reps in the preseason because you know he's from. Uh, group of five competition or something like that. Instead you're seeing he's more refined and maybe you think that's good news. Maybe you're a little bit pessimistic on all this stuff like me. And you think like, that's fine news. Mm -hmm. Uh, You hope it's good news, but I'm more so in the camp of like, it's probably just fine. Unless I see Yoshi's running with the ones. Well, that would kind of scare me. Uh, no, Yoshi, but you know, like where their, their ones and their twos and threes are right now. But maybe you see like, when T Higgins comes off, Yoshivas comes on. It's not mm. uh, Trent Irwin. That would be, that would put me into the like, oh, that's really. I don't think I want to relive that th- that moment. No offense to Trent Irwin. I mean, I think he'll do just fine on the roster. Um, but I don't want to be back in that situation where that's what they're focusing on and that's their wide receiver room when Jamar Chase, if Jamar Chase was out or T Higgins was out or Tyler Boyd. Uh, but yeah, the Yoshi stuff is wild. And, and I, not to make this about Yoshi, but the wide receiver room, just in general with the Mohamed Sanu question, 
I heard his interview. Um, he had mentioned in rookie camp, he's like, you know, you got all the jitters out in rookie camp. And he's like, now I feel really comfortable with the team being able to be with these guys in the vet. So I think that's extremely helpful. Uh, Tyler Eifert, I think it's, I think fans love the idea because they see how it's a social media thing right now. Um, not, not the old Tyler Reifert. I mean, if he could, it's unfortunate that Tyler Reifert and AJ Green couldn't stay healthy. Um, it's really unfortunate that Tyler Eifert basically his career fell off a little bit because of a pro bowl injury. That was probably up there as one of the most unfortunate, like he just arrived as possibly a superstar type tight end pro bowler tight end. And then a back injury in the pro bowl that he just seems like he never fully recovered from. That's, that's what really sticks is any type of pro bowl injury. Like you could have skipped that. And then who knows, maybe he gets listed as like a five-time pro bowler in his career. But anyway, go on. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And, and Tyler Eifert is fun. I love everything, how he's embracing the city and the Cincinnati Bengals. We're seeing a lot of former players do that. I think he should be a ruler of the jungle one time this year. I think that would be a lot of fun and really love to see that. That's awesome. But I think I, I've said this before. It's an unpopular opinion. I just don't think the Bengals utilize the tight end position as much as other teams. So they're just going to, I think they're going to roll in with who they have in their tight end room and be okay with that. And that's just the way it's going to go. Maybe it's not a new shiny toy besides Irv Smith Jr. And, you know, if he can stay healthy, but I think they're, they're fine with where they're at. Eli Apple is mine. It's the pick. I understand. That was my number two. And part of me is almost only picking Dunlap because I know that fans are lower on him than me uh -huh. just because like, he, he's still a good player. And that's why I think sometimes is missing, which I can already hear the keyboard clattering for yeah. he took plays off, he loafs, he doesn't try, all this other stuff. It's like, look, man, he's had 100 sacks in his career, yeah. and you don't do that by accident. That You have a long career, and you play through injury. You do all of this. It's not because he's not a guy that's never tried in his life. So I, I think he's still a plus addition to the team. But yeah, Eli Apple's still a fine starting corner. And he played for the team last year and there's no rift. So I fully get why you would go that way. It seems we are in agreement that um, it's not Sanur Eifert just because of... It, it, I lean towards Eli for a couple reasons. Um, when has a guy ever come back from three years of retirement and been good though, besides Michael Jordan? <laughs> Different sport. Wait, who retired three times? What am I missing? No, no, no. Retired for three years. Not retired three times. Oh, I think Brett Favre's probably like, trying like, to retire a hundred times. Um, yeah, it's, it, it doesn't work out, especially in the NFL. I mean, I know these guys are beasts and they're just different kind of athletes, mm -hmm. but it's just not the same. NFL shape's different than being in shape, too. Especially being in the wide receiver room. Um, mm -hmm. so I, Tight ends are going to get crushed. Yes, but, um, but with Eli, I think I hold a soft spot because he was there and stepped up during the 10-game win streak after the Cleveland game and was serviceable and he did just fine. Um, I think about that Thursday night game with Tyree kill. I love it. He he's not afraid to say things. And yes, I think a lot of people thought after the bills game, mm, probably didn't need to say all of that stuff, uh, but he had fun and he, he embraces that role. And I think, you know, there's this, the Cincinnati Bengals, you know, he felt comfortable here and felt like this was his third chance in the NFL really. Um, so I still hold out a little bit of hope. No, not because there's injuries. I don't want any injuries with your secondary. Um, and Cheeto looks unbelievable right now in some of the videos, but I just, I, I kind of want Eli to be a part of it. I if Eli Apple was able to get a ring, Super Bowl ring in Cincinnati, he'd, he'd probably just be like, that was enough. I'm done. I'm good. 
Eli Apple on Twitter the rest of the offseason. He's good, has a Super Bowl ring, and, and, and he rides off into the sunset. But me personally, I just think you can pile up on your cornerbacks, and having him out there during a really important time for the secondary was absolutely huge last year. So that's where I'm at. The other guys, I'm just I'm just not there. And no offense, because I loved everything Mohamed Sanu did while he was in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Because if it, say the same thing about Tyler Eifert, it's really unfortunate he was injured most of his career here. And then Carlos Dunlap, it's unfortunate the way it ended, because I know there's a lot of really good times with Carlos Dunlap, and there's a lot that he, he would do off the field that I thought was really awesome. Um, but yeah, it's just unfortunate. I just feel like that's a that's something that's not going to be. They're not. He's not coming back. So no. Nah, not really realistic. Uh, so, yeah, I agree. End of the day, I went Dunlap, but I'm probably, you know, if I was in the front office, I'm going Apple because, hey, I, I don't have to convince my boss. <laughs> and be like, hey, you know that guy that I really had an issue with a few years ago? I'm not bringing him back. He's a changed guy. Are you surprised um, he's not with another team? Okay. Phrase that question for Yannick Ngakwe, Melvin Ingram, uh, Justin Houston, all these other guys. It seems like nobody cares about these old edge rushers that still got a little bit juice to them. So I actually wanted the Bengals to go after one of these guys early on in the offseason. But when you draft Miles Murphy, that makes the role Mm -hmm. questionable. And sometimes those former high-end starters are going to complain when they don't get enough playing time. I think of Melvin Ingram did that in Pittsburgh and then he got traded to the chiefs. Um, I don't know if Dunlap would do that. Cause it felt like he had his role reduced in Kansas city. I think he only played 400 snaps or so. So maybe he doesn't do it, but you never know 400 snaps. That's still over 20 snaps a game. And I don't think he would have that role in Cincinnati. So maybe he would complain in I think Ngakwe wants to be a starter. I don't think he's done giving that up yet. So uh, a lot of those guys, you know, you you kind of look at them and go, man, I'm a little surprised that guy's still out there. And sometimes they sign with a team later on. I think this might've been true for Dunlap last year before he signed with Kansas city. Uh, And sometimes they just retire. Michael Bennett was like a fine player his last year. And then he just never signed and retired. And that just happens. Some of these guys don't want to play 10 snaps a game. Uh, they don't want to be just, you know, pass rush specialist role player. They want to play real snaps and 20, 25 snaps a game. And that's not going to be the case for most of these guys, at least with the Bengals. Man, I would definitely take a paycheck to go to only do 10 snaps a game. That would be awesome. Yeah. But these guys have made so much money. They're not going to get a good contract for them. No. You know, look at what Dunlap and Ingram and, and Gakwe made on their last big deals. And then you think about like, where do you get in Cincinnati? One year, $1 million, something like that. And it's probably not fully guaranteed. It's like, you no. could probably get cut. No, I'm cut before the season starts. So yeah, probably wouldn't happen, but no, I kind of like that. It's kind of fun to, to do the, this or that, or that player, um, you know, if they were to return to Cincinnati, but yeah, you know, I'm still holding out hope Eli comes back. I don't think Eli's ready to retire. I would say no too. Cause he, he hasn't slowed down. Yeah. So why would he retire? The only thing with him is I don't know who else is interested besides the Bengals. And that's kind of proven Drew this offseason so far. I thought he was a fine starting corner. I think he could, I think he's better than the guys like the Rams have out there, but the Rams aren't going to sign him because there's a little bit of that Twitter stuff. And there's also the label that came with him. And it well, did. I mean, they, 
they probably, you know, they've watched the Super Bowl plenty, <laughs> so it wasn't his best game. But uh, I think he's probably better than what they have out there. There's probably some other teams that could use him too, just like a guy that can go out there and start at corner. That sounds like a guy that most teams could use. But there's just other baggage that comes with it. The Bengals don't care, and I probably wouldn't care either. Say whatever you want on Twitter. Who cares? Especially if you're doing it after the game. I mean, it's Whatever. funny. It's funny. I, I love everything about it because he's not afraid to do it. And then after the games, when he was holding the coin around Paycor Stadium after the coin flip game, yeah. just smiling with – I love it. Absolutely love it. And he he played it perfectly. And and I just felt like he felt welcomed in Cincinnati. And, I, and I'm and i still I'm still all for Eli coming back. I just – I don't want any injuries. Just Eli, come back. Just join the defense. Add another cornerback. Uh, but we'll see what happens with that scenario. Just kind of a fun conversation. Next, let's uh, do a little look back because mani- mandatory minicamp is over. You know, offensive line. We could always talk about that on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. This, this is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati talking about a little look back. Mandatory minicamp is in the books for the Cincinnati Bengals. Pretty short and sweet, nothing too crazy. You know, Jonah Williams returned. Cheeto Wuzier is back out there doing incredible work and just proves once again that athletes are incredible human beings. Um, Looks really encouraging for Cheeto in September. And I know nobody's putting out a date and official clearance for Cheeto, Jonah, you know, any of the guys working on the side, even Lyle Collins. Uh, but would you be surprised right now if Cheeto is ready for the first week in a September or second week? Um, not that surprised. Maybe a little. Just it feels like the entire time people have been saying, like, don't be surprised if he misses time. So I've kind of built myself towards that. Mm-hmm. And uh, look, it, it's, you know, you aim low. And then when you finish high, you feel really good. But if you aimed high and you thought he'd be ready week one and then he's not ready, you're going to be disappointed. I'm not going to be disappointed if he's not ready week one. Because to me, it's more important he's ready in the playoffs in the push for maybe the number one seed than it is he's ready for week one against the Browns. Look, man, I, I don't care. <laughs> Throw somebody out there against the Browns. Let DJ Turner try. Uh, <laughs> hopefully none of these guys get killed. But, I mean, the Browns passing offense didn't really scare people, especially with uh, redacted at quarterback. So maybe it does this year. Who knows? Maybe the cobwebs came off. Mm. I am a skeptic. Uh, <laughs> Mostly because I don't like the guy they have at quarterback, uh, even if he used to be good. Yeah. So I I personally, I don't care that much if Cheeto's healthy week one. I think it'd be awesome for him. I think it'd be awesome um, in terms of he made such a fast recovery. But with ACL injuries, you're usually like you're fine to play at what nine months. It's a not. It's there is like an eight to nine month right now because ACLs are so different than they were 15, 20 years ago. I tore mine um, ooh, 11 years ago, and it is different. Uh, well, especially different when you have money. And um, I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody does the old what I had done, which was taking a third off of my patellar tendon and making that my ACL. I don't think I don't think they do that anymore. I think they have like lab-grown ACLs that they put in there. Pretty cool, pretty cool stuff. Probably not as big of a scar either. But <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. I didn't feel good the whole next year that I play I, and I played basketball um, because the ACL wouldn't, it happened in the basketball season. So I couldn't play football next year. 
I played basketball and it just didn't feel right. Nothing felt good. And I hated the knee sleeve. I had to wear like this knee sleeve, not a brace because that'd be weird to play basketball with, but I had to wear this knee sleeve. It always slid down. I hated that thing. But anyway, enough about my ACL that nobody cares about. Um, that's just my experience with it when I look at Cheeto and I think I'm not going to expect him to play at the same level, especially right away. Uh, at nine months, I don't expect the same level of play. When you looked at Geno Atkins, different, completely different body type, different position, different doing different things, but he really wasn't the same the next year. But then he got really good right after that. Sometimes it takes those guys a little bit, and I wouldn't be surprised if Cheeto starts off a little rocky. I wouldn't kill him on Twitter. I wouldn't yell about starting DJ Turner. I wouldn't yell about any of that stuff. I would be patient. And uh, I think by the end of the year, and this was true about Trey White last year, he got better as the season went on. By the end of the year in the playoffs, he could be back to normal. But I think at that nine months, 10 months, 11 months, before you get to a full year since your surgery, I'm not going to expect too, too much. So that that's where I am on Cheeto. Um, I don't know if you're anything different. Yeah. He does look awesome in like every video though, doing stuff I definitely could never do, but like, Man, I just watched that and I go, he's high end for this, but NFL athletes, just crazy different, you know, <laughs> like the way they can move. There's about three things I want to hit on with Chino, and then we'll get to other items when it comes to the, the Cincinnati Bengals players on the offense and defensive side. Number one, the same surgeon, Neil Alatrash, I'm, I'm probably butchering his last name, but the one who did Joe Burrow's ACL surgery, Andrew Whitworth from a couple of years ago, um, he is the one that performed the Cheeto surgery. Number two. I like the Bengals training staff. I've been really extremely impressed with them for the last couple of years when it comes to getting these guys ready, um, dealing with ACL injuries and just other injuries when it comes to rehab. So I, I do trust that. My, I don't know if I'm number three or four right now, but number three, Cheeto coming back for the Cleveland game to open the season. I agree with you. The important games down the stretch, your other AFC North games, your tough battles versus the Bills, you could say the Jags and even Kansas City Chiefs, and Chiefs. then you go into January. Chief, Chiefs late in the season. Having Cheeto there is going to be absolutely unbelievable, and it's a huge deal not having Cheeto there. One of your best – we've said it before, maybe he was the best player. I know it's so easy to put DJ Reader in that category last season too, but Cheeto was amazing. Um, cornerback number one. I think it would be so cool for him to be able to – that was the game, you know, October 31st, Halloween night. It was against the Cleveland Browns. Cheeto gets injured. And seeing Cheeto last season for the pretty much the whole entire stretch um, in November, December, January, he was on the sidelines. He was with his crutches post-surgery, before surgery, always there with the team. I mean, they had to get him a chair at one point just to kind of like, hey, stay back from everybody. Don't run into anyone. And I just thought that was really telling of, of Cheeto as a leader and what this defense means to him. And I just think it would be a really cool story to, to get him back. But obviously, one thing I think the Cincinnati Bengals have learned over the last couple of seasons, don't rush a guy back. And we're going to see a very similar thing with Lyle Collins. And I, I think we're in an agreement that Lyle is going to be on the roster. I just don't know what his impact is going to be. We've mentioned guard before. At what point, I mean, because Alex Kappa, I feel like, is their best offensive lineman. Outside of Orlando Brown, I mean, I, we'll see what Orlando Brown looks like at, at left tackle. Obviously an upgrade over Jonah. But if you were to put Lyle Collins, say Cordell Bolson was pretty much like he was his rookie year, would you give Lyle Collins a shot at guard? Um, 
Honestly, I mean, if Wolves is playing the same he did last year, probably not. But if he takes a step back, then yes. I don't want to derail a guy, which when, too? Do you mean like yeah. week six? Or do you mean before a playoff game? Or No, I wouldn't do that to the playoff situation. Just because mm-hmm. I feel like it's just been absolutely a musical chairs when it comes to Joe Burrow's playoff offensive line over the last couple of years. I would say, say you're getting into week eight of the season. And, and I do, I hope Cordell Wilson works out because if you can get a young guy on a rookie contract working out in the guard position, because everybody knows what guards are getting paid in the NFL and the Bengals do not like to pay guards besides bringing in Alex Kappa. Uh, but that's besides the point overall, I want him to work out. And I do think he'll get better. I think when you have a guy like Orlando Brown over there as a leader, a mentor, hanging out with these guys um, off the field when they're at their programs and just getting that chemistry is going to be so huge for Cordell Wilson. I'm just saying, and I don't want this to happen because I want Cordell to work out, but also I I hope Lyle isn't rushed back and he feels like the midway point of the season, maybe it's November. And they're like, you know what? Cordell's just not getting it done right now. Let's put Lyle out there right next to Orlando Brown. What, what would you think that would look like? I mean, the sheer mass would be exciting. 700 pounds between two guys. Uh, but man, I think Volson is fine. Mm-hmm. I thought he was fine yeah. for most of last year. I don't think it ended great. I don't think it started great, but there's that period in between and especially towards the end of the regular season, not the last game, but everything else. I thought he was playing at a pretty decent level. Yeah. So if he's giving you that, then I'm probably not bothering. Uh, replacing him because it also comes with the caveat of like we discussed on our podcast, one of our first ones with Duke Mannyweather, mm-hmm. those guys take time to click together. Right. So if you already, if you just, he said six to eight weeks, if you've just now developed the chemistry between Orlando Brown and Cordell Volson, and then you switch him out and put Collins in there, I guess it should be fine by the playoffs. Yeah. But I think Collins Maybe with the way he moves at this stage in his career, guard could be better suited for him. I think it's kind of tough if he doesn't. If it's a if a guy's playing at a starting level, it's kind of tough to fit him in there because last year he didn't play at an all star level. He kind of played at that level. So you're gonna take Volson out and come with the question mark. He's played there years ago and he was awesome at left guard. Comes with the question mark, though. Can he do it again? Can he make that switch after all these injuries that have limited him at right tackle and plug him in? The reason it could work at right tackle is because he just worked with Alex Kappa, but at left guard, he has no experience with Ted Karras. He has no experience with Orlando Brown. Um, and that's true if Kappa gets injured, try to fit him into right guard. He has no experience with whoever's at right tackle. I think it'll be Jonah Williams, but maybe it's Jackson Carmen. He has no experience with Ted Karras. So, that's where I think some of the issue lies is that he doesn't have the chemistry and experience with these guys. I think when it's an injury, it makes more sense to me. Here's the scenario. I think he could take a left guard starting job is and it's unfortunate, but we'll say not a major injury, but Volson gets nicked up and he misses a game and Volson's been playing at that fine starting level. Hasn't become great. Hasn't become a, a star. He's just, He's, he's fine. He's starting. And then Collins gets in there and it looks like prime Lyle Collins. That's where I think it becomes difficult to make the switch back out. And that's where you could see him start. But if these guys are healthy, it's hard to just kind of shove him in there. I've thought about that with, if Jonah or Carmen is starting, how bad do they have to be to not lose the job before this, but 
for Collins to just get once he's ready, gets in there and plays right tackle. Because in my mind, it's probably below a starting level. That's where you'd probably have to be. You have to be whoever he replaces, probably the clear worst offensive lineman on the active, not the active roster, but like out of the starting five. And that's just, I don't know. It's, it's kind of tough to fit in. If he's not ready week one or week two, if he's not ready till week five, week six, mm-hmm. it's real tough to just throw him in there because a little bit of is the sunk cost of we just, you know, these guys are finally gelling and we're just going to toss you into that. And a little bit of it is also kind of Volson's on the team long-term Collins isn't. Um, that's not true for Jonah Williams, but if Jonah Williams is playing that bad, did you try Carmen yet? Yep. Now, if that would be the other one is if Jonah Williams starts out, he's bad. You put Carmen in there. He's bad. That's prime. Lowell Collins is coming in once he's healthy. <laughs> you know, if neither one of those guys are winning that job. I hate that. Even thinking about that conversation just because yeah. it's been, if Collins is coming in, it's probably something bad. It's not like, no, oh, the offensive line was great. The team is doing great. And now we're just going to shove Collins in there. It's probably something went wrong. So it's a, in, we, we've talked to Duke about it and talk, you know, you, you have chemistry and guys have had to step up, say that everybody's healthy. And with an offensive line, it's different than another position group. You can't just say, you know, the offensive line is really gelling out there. But you know what, Lyle? It's November. Let's let's switch something up because of the matchup. That doesn't work with your offensive line like it does other position groups. So we wouldn't see them say, you know what? We like the Lyle Collins matchup better versus that defensive line. So let's just switch him out for this game. That's what's so hard about it. You know, you want to have the depth with your offensive line. And I want Lyle to take his time getting back. Um, but my my other question is with Jonah, and I, I even hate doing this because I, I feel like I'm being so negative with the offensive line right now. And I actually really believe in the offensive line. And, and you know, there were there were a lot of people down on him during regular season. I, I really do like the offensive line. Um, but say Jonah Williams is your and, – and we've – not I wouldn't we didn't think Jonah was, was as bad as a lot of people on social media last year. But say Jonah Williams was exactly like he was last year at right tackle. Mm-hmm. Are you cool with that? But he's at right tackle now. He so he the fun the fun thing about it, worst year of his career, I thought he was probably around the same level as Volson, like fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he was terrible, which I know sacks allowed that is thrown out a lot, but I thought overall he was fine and you can kind of look at what happened throughout the year and explain it a little bit, or maybe just create excuses, however you want to frame that. But if he's playing at the same level again, it's <sighs> tough because. And Lyle's he's your shiny new toy on the sideline. And he's ready to go. It depends. That'll depend on how he looks in practice, I think, because that is a scenario that maybe you do replace him. And personally, I think Collins and Jonah may have played at a little bit of a similar level. If not, I may have preferred Jonah last year. Just, I think Collins, there were some issues with the back, and that's why he wasn't practicing. He really just couldn't sustain blocks. Um, But yeah, I I think I might prefer Jonah in that case. So I would roll with Jonah. But these guys see him in practice every day. So if they see Collins and he looks better than last year, if he's moving well and they're testing him, he's sustaining these blocks. His back doesn't seem like an issue. His ankles are good. He looks fully healthy. 
tough not to go with him because his last year in Dallas, even though he got injured, replaced by Terrence Steele, et cetera, man, when he was out there, I still thought he was probably a top 10 right tackle. And you're not going to get that if Jonah Williams is playing the same level he did last year. You you probably aren't getting that if Jonah Williams is playing at his peak from the from two years ago. Uh, now, if he plays better than that, yeah, you're going to get a top 10 right tackle. But that's that's where it becomes tough. And I get the idea of going with Collins. And a lot of that will come down to things we don't see. We don't see practice uh, like the coaches do. So if the coaches believe in it, I don't see a reason – to go away from it personally i would just roll with the chemistry and the gelling and everything else i think you're gonna get a better offensive line than last year i think you get a better offensive line yeah. since forever ago but i did say that last year too because i was excited about lowell collins mm-hmm. and jonah williams possible ascension and that didn't happen so cautiously optimistic this time rather than just optimistic uh, i'm not trying to be down yeah. i think they'll be good but we will see so that is kind of where I where do you, where are you on that? If Jonah's playing, it's disappointing. But that would be the first thing I think of. It's like it's disappointing. Just, it really is. And but is it disappointing enough to replace him? It depends on the month. Give me the month. Um, I don't. <laughs> I don't think they're going to be afraid because I think Joe Burrow can be vocal, and and maybe it's behind the scenes, and they're having those conversations. And what Joe Burrow says is going to matter. And if he feels like. Mm, Let's give it another try. I do think practice is extremely important. One of the things last year, uh, Lyle Collins barely practiced. They managed his practices because of his injury. Um, And it's unfortunate because we didn't get to see Dallas Cowboys, Lyle Collins, unfortunately. So I I think the perfect scenario is Lyle Collins gets on the pup to start the season and he is ready to roll midway point of the season if you need to go to him as an option. I want Jonah to work out. I want Cordell Bolson to work out. I went Orlando. I went every single person on this offensive line. We already know. I feel like what we got, you, you, what they have in Alex Kappa and, and Ted Karras. But you know, some there's some unknowns going into the season, and um, you know, I, I feel like I was kind of a little bit negative for Cordell Wilson, and I hope you know it doesn't come across that way because I'm I want him to play well. Um, like I've said before, you're getting a rookie I, a rookie deal. I need to stop calling him a rookie because he'll be in year two it's expensive in the guard market and they have other guys they need to pay. So I want him to work out and we'll see what happens. And I, I do think it's extremely important that Orlando Brown's on his other side. So. Yeah. I think the ideal role for Lyle Collins is taking what Hakeem and energy did before the injuries mm-hmm. and playing that six, six offensive lineman, which they like to use. They love that. And Oh man. I mean him just blasting guys. Yeah. And you know, just when he gets out there, it's just, Hey, Go kill that guy. <laughs> like, that's what he does. <laughs> That'd be great. Just work down blocks, work uh, double teams, combos, all this other stuff. You don't need to work backwards, pass set, and hold up against um, whoever yeah. out there, Nick Bosa's of the world. You can just maul, and that's what he loves to do. He loves to maul guys. So that's that's what I, I think the sixth offensive lineman, this would also mean that the offensive line's playing pretty well. So that's also why I like this scenario, is the offensive line's playing pretty well through the first six weeks, and then you're just kind of, Hey, we've got a weapon now as our sixth offensive lineman. Rather than we want to do this because we like doing this, it's we want to do this because we're going to dominate when we do this. And I think that's what you could look at with a Lyle Collins coming back. Highest scenario in my mind, like highest potential, is him as the sixth guy and just just taking dudes out of the club. I agree with that. Then I got a little bummed because I remembered that they have to face Nick Bosa. So um, that kind of bums me out a little bit. I sure do. A lot of chips. A lot of chips coming. Double teams, chips, everything. Ball out. 
maybe he'll be a little nice because his friend Joe Burrow's on the other side and just say, you know what? We'll take it easy on you guys. Uh, but yeah, Nick Bosa terrifies me. He's he's one of the guys, and I'd put JJ Watt and Miles Garrett into that category too. Um, JJ. I mean, not JJ, TJ, TJ, TJ. Prime JJ is underrated. I think Prime JJ was JJ Watt. Sorry, JJ um, Watt. TJ Watt, I, I do think he's terrifying. So I'll be. I'm ready to. I'm ready to. Ready to drop a bomb. No, nobody's listening. I think Prime JJ Watt was about as good as Prime Aaron Donald. I'm gonna put it on Twitter. Okay. We'll see what the people think. I just want. I think Aaron, Aaron Donald sustained it. He didn't get hurt, but like peak, peak JJ Watt. Are we forgetting? <laughs> oh, you know what makes me a little nervous? Go back to the 2011 TJ Yates. 2012. 2012. 2012. 2011. Yeah. 2013. He he came after Andy Dalton, didn't he? Just like come like as a monster and just pretty much in that playoff game and it was over. Caught interceptions for touchdowns. Yeah, it was. People say TJ Yates won that game. It was a different J. It was JJ Watt as a rookie, and then also as a second year player, kind of won those games. Yeah. That's really depressing to think about in those playoff games. They did, they had no business being there, but you know, that was, that was they should have won actually one of them. But hey, we won't go back. We're not going all the way back almost a decade over a decade ago. Uh, but we'll see. Offensive line talk will continue, no doubt about that, during the summer break, and then we'll get into more pro player profiles, and then we'll have our mailbag. Make sure you're following along over on Twitter. We have a YouTube version of the podcast, so that's going to be really fun for some people that have asked about video, and we will have this out, and you're going to want to check that out. We'll have all the information when we tweet it out over on Twitter. You can follow Mike, Bengals underscore Sands, me at LNDS Patterson, and thank you for listening to It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati.